Hello everyone, welcome to the SciCast podcast second season. My name is Ashton Noon and this podcast is about psychology and mental health. But this time with a new season, we have a new topic, which is life in healthcare and the process of getting there. This will range from therapists to sleep medicine professionals to medical students, so make sure to stay tuned. Hello, welcome to the SciCast podcast. Today, our guest is Dr. Tekshandani. She is a pulmonologist who's completed her residency at UC Davis and fellowship at UC Irvine. And currently, she is completing our sleep medicine fellowship at Stanford. So thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Is there anything you want to add? No, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Thank you. So what inspired you to specialize in, I guess, pulmonology and sleep medicine? And what do you find most rewarding about your work? It's a great question. So it all started actually with the ICU for me. When I was uh, an internal medicine resident, I did a rotation in the ICU pretty early in my intern year, and I fell in love with it. And, you know, most of the time when you do pulmonology fellowship, you also do critical care, which is working in the ICU. Mm -hmm. And my interest developed with the ICU. And as I started to learn more about pulmonology, I fell in love with that as well. And so I decided to do a fellowship in both pulmonology and critical care at UC Irvine. And while I was there, one of my mentors, um, who is a pulmonologist as well, and is also a sleep medicine physician, And I started seeing sleep patients with him specifically and found it fascinating. And there's a lot of overlap between pulmonology and sleep medicine. Everyone needs to sleep. So sleep affects everyone. So that was really interesting to me. And that's kind of how it all happened. Uh, What memorable like patient stories do you have when you were working in critical care? Because I mean, I'm assuming you like save many people's lives, you know, what kind of, yeah, what kind of stories do you have? That's a really tough one because there are a lot of great stories, especially from the pandemic. You know, it was a really hard time and there were a lot of sad stories from the pandemic, but there's mm-hmm. one that especially stands out, comes to my mind immediately. There was a gentleman I was taking care of in the ICU who was very sick from COVID. And most of the time, you know, when I had the opportunity, if I knew that I had to intubate somebody and if I had the time uh, where it wasn't completely emergent, I would try to get the patient to talk to their family beforehand, because in those days, it was really difficult to tell once somebody got on the ventilator, sadly, whether or not they'd be able to make it off the ventilator and make it out of the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so this patient, I, you know, asked our staff to help us set a FaceTime with him and his wife. And so he got to Mm -hmm. talk to his wife. And it was very emotionally charged conversation for all of us to witness. And it was already a really difficult time, you know, the staff and thus we had experienced a lot of patient deaths and that have been particularly emotionally difficult. And I remember as I was about to intubate this patient, he quickly had picked up his phone and he was frantically texting his mom saying, I will always love you. And Mm -hmm. that kind of was a very, again, charged moment for all of us and very emotional moment. And after we intubated him, we kind of stabilized him, tried to figure out what was going on with him. And as a team, everybody, we all worked really hard on this patient. Mm -hmm. And 
luckily enough, two weeks later, we were actually able to get him off of the ventilator. He was one mm -hmm. of our success stories. And it was a very, very emotional moment for all of us to, for him to get off the ventilator. His wife and his kids were the first people he talked to once he was able to talk. And it always stands out in my mind because it was one of the few stories of success in the pandemic. And I was very grateful for the work I did and for the amazing team I had. How did like the pandemic affect your work? Like, did it make it a lot, I don't know, much more busier, like a lot harder? How did... For sure, yeah. Um, you know, the ICU in general is kind of a chaotic place where mm -hmm. um, you have somebody who's extremely sick and on a ventilator requiring, you know, blood pressure medications to keep them um, alive. And, you know, that's kind of just how it is normally. Mm -hmm. And the pandemic kind of accelerated that and ex exaggerated that by a lot more. And definitely was a very, very hard time physically, mentally, emotionally. You know, this was the first time a lot of us were out there not knowing how we would personally be affected in terms of our own health, you know, especially yeah. before the vaccine. That was a challenge, trying to keep ourselves and our families safe, trying to keep each other safe, mm -hmm. trying to take the best possible care we can of our patients without knowing too much about COVID and, you know, what else comes with the disease. So it was challenging in a lot of different ways that none of us had previously experienced. Yeah. How do you like deal with stress? Uh, I guess with all of, all of the things that you all do, like all this, I am assuming it's a very stressful job, this workplace. That's How a do great you, question. Yeah. I think I'm still learning, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a work in progress for sure. You know, as a person, you take on other people's emotions and challenges. And in the, in the ICU, you see a lot of people's worst days, especially yeah. when you're helping family members deal with their loss or help them make difficult decisions about their family members. It's hard not to take that home. But at the end of the day, I think I try to keep in mind that I've done everything I possibly can. And somebody had given me this advice that, you know, Every patient is on their own journey and you're contributing whatever you can to their journey. And then you, you know, move on to help the next person that you can. Because um, obviously, you know, especially as a physician, you want to try to save everything and everyone, but that's mm -hmm. not always possible. So sometimes all you can do is, you know, give kindness to the patient and you have to kind of tell yourself that you've done your best and that's all you can do. So it's definitely tough. And I, I if, once I figure it out, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, what are, the, what are some biggest challenges that you face when treating patients with both respiratory and sleep disorders? I was told that sleep conditions commonly come with respiratory issues, but yeah, what are those biggest challenges? Yeah, definitely. There's a big overlap between the two, actually. Back in the day, mm -hmm. um, sleep was a huge part of pulmonology training. Now it's its own you know, field, and that's great because there's a lot more nuance to sleep medicine. I would say challenges... Sometimes we can get very complicated patients who have, you know, significant um, lung conditions, for example, patients with neuromuscular disease, where some form of neurological condition may be making their respiratory muscles weak. So they have mm -hmm. trouble getting a lot of air into or out of their lungs. Yeah. And that can overlap with sleep disorders as well, or somebody with COPD, which is um, a disease of the airways that can happen with smoking in the US. Mm -hmm. And that can also cause trouble ventilating. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes when there's overlap between these conditions, it can make it challenging to make sure that we're addressing both parts of the issue. That's probably the biggest um, area of overlap I can think of. If you were to like educate or advise uh, like audience or like patients to like avoid these issues, like both 
I guess in pulmonology and like for sleep, what would you, yeah, what advice would you give? That's a great question. About the overlap. So the biggest thing I can think of, you know, in pulmonology is don't smoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, smoking, you know, kills you in so many different ways, damages mm-hmm. your body in so many ways. So, and I'm glad that there's much more awareness about that nowadays than there was back in the day. Smoking is one of the best, like stopping smoking is one of the best things you can do for yourself. That's from the pulmonology standpoint. Another thing I would say people with occupations where you have a ton of exposure to hazardous chemicals, or really anything that you do, even things like vaping cause a lot of lung damage. So you know, trying to be careful at work, wearing the appropriate um, equipment, protective equipment, that's really important. And then for sleep conditions, you know, sleep apnea is probably the most sleep condition that most sorry, most common sleep condition that we treat. And that, you know, sometimes there's nothing you can do, because that's just how your anatomy is, how your body is structured. But weight definitely has a lot to do with it as well. So trying to stay in good, healthy shape by eating well, exercising regularly, can have a very positive impact on your sleep. And even Mm -hmm. patients with sleep apnea can see significant benefit from regular exercise and healthy eating. I think those are probably the most, probably easiest to say, but most difficult to follow recommendations. I see, Um, yeah. But I think they are really impactful at every aspect of your health. Mm -hmm. Um, And what advice, again, would you give to like undergrad students or medical students or even like high school students who are considering like pulmonology or sleep medicine? Excellent question. So I would say, you know, you know, early on in your career, definitely make sure that you care about what you do. So you have passion for what you're doing. You know, the path to doing, you know, medicine and then subspecialties of medicine is long. It's very long. I've been, I went to college for four years. I went to med school for four years. I did residency for three, fellowship for three, and now I'm doing fellowship for a year. So it is a long path. Uh Um, So, you know, you have to make sure that you love what you do. Otherwise, it can be a very challenging path to go through. And so definitely make sure that you have the information that you have to make that decision, make it an informed decision, you know, love what you do. And then also remember to have a good work life balance, because I think that's what helps you sustain this in the long term. Um, Because we see a lot of difficult things in medicine. And, you know, you see this at a young age, in your 20s, you might be telling somebody, you know, that your loved one is, you know, going to pass away, or you're, Mm -hmm. you know, you go through a lot of difficulty through your training as well. So definitely making sure that you love what you do and having a balance is really important. So what I mean by that is make sure that you surround yourself by or surround yourself with people who care about you, people you love spending time with, making sure you have hobbies that, you know, help balance out work. I think those are really, really important. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, to actually get into medicine, get through that path, be prepared to work really hard. Yeah. Um, be very dedicated to patients. Right. Like I'd imagine with the, I don't know, like spending that many years in school, I feel like there would be like motivation issues or like perseverance issues. Did you have any instances where you wanted to like on the move to a different field, move to a different like job? Absolutely. Yeah. I think yeah. it's it's very human to experience, you know, doubts and uncertainties. Mm-hmm. If somebody tells you they're never facing that, they're probably not aware of it. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's very normal and you know any field to experience that but certainly it's in a field that involves that many years of training mm -hmm. um, you know medical school is expensive the financial challenges are real too so definitely you know you feel like especially you know when you're working holidays you're spending 30 hours in the hospital you're missing milestones you mm -hmm. definitely feel that but you know remi reminding yourself that you're doing something you love and at the end of the day you are taking care of patients and it's a privilege to be able to do that you're given a gift where patients trust you with their health. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the balance comes into making sure mm -hmm. that whenever you have the opportunity to be able to balance your work with things that make you happy outside of work. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably the key to not burning out in any field. Yeah, I guess specific to you, what are your what are the, some of the things you like to do, like to maintain that work life balance? Any hobbies or like? Great question. Yeah. So the biggest thing for me is actually just spending time with people I care about. That's my friends, family, that's uh, it keeps me sane. And I do like to read, I like to travel, I have a trip to Thailand coming up, I'm very excited about. Oh, nice. Yeah. Buying different cuisines, love to eat. My yeah. husband's been challenging me to expand my palate a little bit, been eating a little mm -hmm. weird food. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that is up for, I, I think that is it for the time today. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Absolutely. Um, my pleasure. Yeah. And wish you the best. All right. Thank you so much. That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much to Dr. Texan Danny for letting me interview you. It was super interesting to hear about your stories in the ICU and hear your advice as a professional in the sleep medicine and pulmonology field. Thank you everyone for listening and see you all next time.